0: Hey everyone, Kevin Rose here. Welcome to Proof, a podcast dedicated to the NFT ecosystem. Here we interview artists and builders shaping the NFT space with a focus on high quality projects. Now the episode you're listening to now was actually first released on my other podcast, Modern Finance, but as we decided to kick off this show, we wanted to re-release my previous NFT episodes here so that this feed represents all of the NFT content that I've created. Now, going forward, the Modern Finance Podcast will have a focus on finance, and this Proof Podcast will have all the NFT content. If you're a fan of all things blockchain, you'll want to subscribe to both shows. So with that, enjoy the show. Today, I'm speaking with the founders of the CryptoPunks Project, Matt Hall and John Watkinson. Now, CryptoPunks are considered to be the very first digital art that was stored on the Ethereum blockchain. This was just a few years back. In fact, this was the project that was the inspiration for what is now called the ERC-721 standard. Now, that standard is what most digital art and collectibles, also known as NFTs, are based on today. So this was the very OG original first project. Now, if you're new to CryptoPunks, you have no idea what I'm talking about. They are these little cute 24 by 24 pixel characters, and they all have different attributes and no two are identical. So some of them will look like zombies. Some look like little punk rock characters. Some have cowboy hats and beards. There's a total of 10,000 of them. And of course, some of them are rarer than others. Now collectors, and I'm definitely one of them. I was lucky enough to have purchased some of these when they first came out several years ago. Uh, collectors find a lot of value here because they were the very first project that kicked off the entire nft craze so these are the very first works of art that are cemented into the blockchain now if you believe that digital art is here to stay as i do then these little characters will be pretty much historic in some sense as people will be able to look back decades from now as this being the first project that started it all now collectors are definitely catching on. Uh these days, these punks uh they range in price from starting at, believe it or not, thirty thousand dollars, uh, which is crazy for like the very floor price, up to seven point five eight million dollars, which as of this recording, uh one CryptoPunk, a super rare alien sold for seven point five eight million. This is nuts as you'll hear, because they essentially were giving these things away when they first got started. This was a really fun interview. I love this team, primarily because it is a very pure project, meaning it's a two-person team. There's no outside funding, no VC funding. They're not trying to make this a big enterprise. They're just a couple of hackers building really fun stuff. And also, they're going to hint at, a little bit later in this episode, a new project that they have coming out soon. So with that, this is the origin story of CryptoPunks. Enjoy the show. Kevin Rose and his guests are not registered investment advisors. All opinions are Kevin's and his guests alone. Nothing discussed today
1: should be relied upon for investment decisions, nor is it investment advice. This show is solely for information and entertainment purposes only. Please work directly with an investment professional.
0: So, Matt and John, thank you so much for joining me. Great. Yeah. Happy Thanks to be for here. Having us. Yeah. Yeah, really excited to walk through the history here of everything that you all have created at at Larva Labs. Obviously, the thing that is just absolutely blowing up right now is the CryptoPunks. I would love to hear the founding story. Just take me back a few years ago to when you first sat down and the two of you thought, this sounds like a cool idea. (laughs) What was that like? (laughs) Yeah, I could start it, then maybe Matt can fill in. You know, at that time, we
2: were just interested in collectibles a little bit. You know, we just thought. I I think Matt's daughter was the age, and I had two nieces who were the age where they were playing with a lot of collectible toy things. So that just kind of got us seeing the kids really get into these little kind of these little things that are similar but different, you know, and they're all unique. And that's something that we like. We're Canadian. We collected hockey cards, and I played the Magic Card Gathering card game. Yeah. So there's some, some collection there. We were thinking about collectibles, and we're thinking, is there a way to do that digitally? That that would actually feel real, right? That wouldn't just be some company's database says you you have this dig- digital thing. And I guess also a little bit buoyed along by what was happening in gaming where people were really in- valuing the in-game stuff too. That was another sort of clue that this, this digital collecting, that there could be something there.
0: Were you both working on Ethereum at that time? Were you Had you ever spun up any other projects on the blockchain? What made you... Draw the connection between centralized collectible and decentralized on chain collectible?
1: Yeah, I think, I don't think we I knew much about Ethereum at the time. And hadn't done much in blockchain in general i think john i think you bought a bitcoin once just to see what is this about 70 bucks or something and it went up a bunch and you were like i'm out like i don't get it i'm just gonna sell it (laughs) we (laughs) all
0: did
2: that i hate
0: that that's a story for everyone
2: this is an aside i found i had written a little blog post which i completely forgot about and it was on google plus of all places lost to history now and it was like, how Bitcoin works. And I, I think I had just, right when Bitcoin came out, I'm like, what's this all about? And I read about it and I learned it all. And I wrote this stupid blog post that no one needed about how Bitcoin works. But it never occurred to me the entire time. This is like, whatever, 2010 or t- whatever. Don't you want to just maybe have a couple? It didn't occur to me. I just nerdily <laughs> studied the technology and then moved on. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. I think so back then we were mainly doing apps for phones and stuff, which is what we started that was how we started the company. So we were thinking like, oh, could there be a collectibles app basically where you get one or two of these things a day and then you have a little collection you trade with your friends, which is kind of a fun idea. But as we were kicking it around, we we're like, it's a little unsatisfying though, and that you don't really know how rare these things are or how many there are. And you just have to take our word for it. And as John said back in the hockey card collecting days, I squirreled away this collection that I thought was so valuable because it had all these rookie cards for players and stuff, and then I found out ten years later, oh no, they printed millions of those things. You know, what I mean they're not even worth the cardboard they're on, basically. So how is this not gonna be that? How is this not gonna feel the same as that? So that's when we looked into Ethereum a bit and found out like, oh yeah, this this actually solves this problem. Like this is something that Ethereum can actually do and with it all being in the digital realm, then it becomes this little kind of perfect system, basically. I
0: don't even know. I'm trying to remember back when I was playing with Ethereum in the early days. How did you think this could be put on chain? Because at the time, you know, there's not really any way to store anything of any significant size, right? So I guess that's the advantage of having a, a 24 by 24 little hash of an icon. Talk to me, talk, walk me through that process.
2: Yeah, and that was all part of our exploration was you know, at that time there was tons of coins being made. Right. Like altcoins, altcoins as they were called. And so we were looking at the code for that for the standard ERC twenty, the altcoin contract, and We were saying, oh, yeah, I think we can change this to make it refer to unique items as opposed to just a fungible coin. And but then, yeah, then we hit that question of like, all right, but wait, how would we act? Could we actually store this stuff in there? We were already poking around with these little I was making these little this little generator of these little eight bit characters. So we thought like, oh, maybe we can get them in there. And so we were exploring the idea of, yeah, can we actually store all these on chain and obviously do all the ownership stuff? convert ERC20 into some new thing. Yeah, and we ended up actually not doing like not actually storing the cryptopunks on there. What what we did instead, which I think has still become a standard thing since then is it's enough to refer to the image, to the images and refer to it in a way that can be proven that's what this links to. So that's where we took a cryptographic hash of the overall image and put that in the contract. So it's like this refers to that. In hindsight, right. we could have done it, but it would have been relatively expensive even then to store all that data in there. And and we were looking at this as an experiment, so we were we said there's no point doing all that. This is a way to, to link that. We, but that was still a big question: Will people accept this if it's just linked to the image, or does it somehow actually need to be stored in there?
0: Yeah. So what is it? What exactly is stored in the so in the contract and I apologize for not having read this through, but I, I would love to break it down to listeners as well. Are you storing a hash of all of them? like one single hash,
1: or a hash of each individual one that was created. It's a hash of the composite image, so it's all ten thousand. Okay, and then one hash. Yeah, and there's like when we were working on this, we we're, were there's kind of two aspects to it. There's a technical aspect. Do you need? Is it important to be able to access that data on the blockchain? That image data, like on from one perspective because the image could be lost. And so at least we know the blockchain has it. Or would another contract want to do something with that image data? And both of those things seemed like pretty unlikely. Like if this image was widely available, like if the crypto CryptoPunks become popular, then the image is everywhere. So you don't really need it on the blockchain. But then the other side is, is it psychologically sufficient? Does it feel right. like you own it? Is it important that the image is in there to make you feel like you own it? And that was really why we were mainly trying to get the image data in there because we felt like maybe that was important and and it turned out that linkage with the hash was enough and it was like how most i think most contracts do it there's other examples now that don't do it that way but for the start at least for the early nfts almost everybody did that because everybody was like yeah that's good enough i can prove that image is what we're dealing with here in the contract that's fine can you
0: explain to people what a hash actually is
1: yeah you you go ahead john
2: yeah, hash is just basically a it's a one-way function where you put all the data in of a some file or some entity. So here it's like a image file and then it spits out a reasonably long but not maybe it's 128 bits or 256 bits. It spits out some data and the idea is that it's, you couldn't find some other data that would hash to that same value that if you put mm-hmm. it through this hashing process, you would get the same value out. So it's what's called a one way function in cryptography. So if you hash an image and you get a hash. So yeah, by hashing an image, you get this short representative of that image and no other image, or at least it, you would have to try endless images for the rest of the life of the universe ever until you found one that just happened to hash to the same value. And so it's a way of basically representing something with a very small amount of data. And it's used all the time in cryptography. And in fact, when the miners are mining Bitcoin or Ethereum, they're trying to find, they're trying to do that lucky hashing thing for a certain amount of bits. And that's what makes the, that's what sets the difficulty of the blocks. It's all related to that. Gotcha.
0: And, And so you came together and said, okay, we think we can do this. Got it figured out. We're going to hack an a ERC-20 standard and make something a little bit different that hasn't been done before. Was there any other projects at all? I mean, I know there was some of those rare Pepes that were done on Bitcoin in some weird way, but were there any other art projects at that time?
1: We we knew about Rare Pepes and didn't quite understand it, like didn't because it was a like a side chain and we didn't quite understand how that worked. And it just seemed Ethereum was a lot cleaner in the sense that it was a single currency, like you had to go get more money. And so we thought Ethereum's the way to do this. or Like we didn't really know how yeah. to use that other thing. But we weren't aware of anything else at the time, no.
0: And so you got together who came up with the actual name for CryptoPunks. What made you decide to go Punks versus cats or you know dogs or anything else? Yeah, it seemed it just seemed right for the culture of of what
2: we were entering into this whole obviously yeah this especially at that time but even to this day the crypto space and you know, the blockchain space is punky and people think of themselves as counterculture in that space so just felt right, you know, and that it was like, yeah, you're a crypto punk
0: here. Were you guys into punk rock at all when you were younger or no?
2: Yeah, yeah. And post-punk and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, I always, yeah, exactly. And I always liked the looks too, of course. Just it was always fun to look at the old punk looks from the London and whatever in the 70s and stuff. Yeah, so that was inspired by that. but Also, just the, the culture around crypto. And we, and we sort of thought that these could be, ideally, if people get into these, they can be there. Avatars in Twitter or wherever else. Yeah. And so it just, yeah, felt right. But yeah, that was really it. Just, just felt like
0: it was the right theme. So you come up with punks. You've got these little eight big characters. You're starting to design. At this point, you're like, okay, we're gonna make a certain number of them. You landed on ten thousand. Any particular reason for ten thousand, or it just sounded like a good
1: number? I don't. Did we even really think about it that much? I felt like. <laughs> the right amount to give a bunch of variety but not too many that you get lost in the set does that sound fair john
2: yeah that sounds about right yeah we wanted there to be lots in that we we didn't want at that time we didn't expect that many people to be interested so it's yeah we want people to be able to get a few of them kind of trade them around buy and sell it just felt like sort of the right number but yeah we basically pulled it out of a hat yeah
1: there was a couple decisions back then that we really wanted to do and that was that They were all one of one. So, every one was unique. It wasn't a series, which was felt like maybe another option at that time. You know, like there's a thousand of them and there's 10 of each or something like that. But we felt the really interesting thing here is digital uniqueness and rarity. So, let's make them all unique. And also that the set is closed so that they arrive as a complete set and -hmm. there can be no more. So, other things like, and I think later there were people would have the things that continue, or you could add more on, or it was like an open set, they kept issuing new tokens. We were like, we want this thing to be a kind of a closed system that once it's delivered, it has everything set and we can't do anything to it after.
0: Come up with the different attribute types. Obviously, you had to think of unique ways to dress up these characters, make them look a little bit different, but... Let's talk through a couple of... Them. Why, why an alien? <laughs> yeah, I
2: don't... And i be honest, yeah, I, it's hard to get back in the headspace. But yeah. Yeah, we definitely had an, an instinct that there should be a few kind of rare types that are very obviously different. So there's certain things like certain types of hats or whatever that are rare that they might wear. But that we also wanted to have completely different types that you can immediately tell, ooh, that's a rare one. So the zombies... And then more rare than that is the ape. And then the rarest is the alien of those special types. And so, yeah, but as to why, I don't really know. Yeah, I remember the zombie just being sort of easy and natural where it's like, oh, yeah, turn the skin green and then give it a little bit of slobber. and stuff looks right. Red eyes. Yeah. And then, yeah. But I think it was just more messing around with some different types and just seeing what sort of worked and fit
0: the vibe of it. There were any that just didn't make it like any that you tried to design. You're like, ah, that doesn't work.
2: Yeah, I'd have to look uh, back at the little design files. I don't think there was anything that really got cut. It was probably, yeah, there, I don't recall. I'm sure there were some that were tried and then immediately abandoned.
0: Oh, so you have the original Photoshop files, basically. Yeah, yeah.
2: And what's funny is like we, Matt and I were joking about that because you know we, we the fo- original Photoshop files and then a generator that makes 10,000 of these things. And I was working on the generator and doing adjustments and adding a few rules because certain attributes wouldn't work well together and everything. And and I was so running it again and again, and just sort of looking at the results, and and then eventually I committed it, the final version into into GitHub, and then Matt ran it once, and that was it. Like the one time Matt ran it was the final time, and it's just funny. We've never run it again. We we never will run it again. We were even thinking of just maybe we should just delete everything and just close that off. But but yeah, it's it's a funny. It's an interesting way to. You're writing something that's just going to be run once, and then it's it's over. All that code and everything. Yeah. Definitely, you definitely don't it'd, need to write super clean code in that in that situation.
0: It'd be really curious to see if there were, if you go back through those files, if there were any types of traits or attributes that you just ended up not using. I don't know if that was the case or if you recall any, but that would be fun. Just to as at this at some point, I believe I haven't told you this yet to you guys, and I'm sure you probably start to, are starting to believe it too. It's like I, I, a decade from now, or maybe even less. These are going to be considered. They already are considered fine art, and 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 are really an anchor and a, ple- a place in history where the, it was the very first of their kind. It's it's historic in some sense.
1: Yeah, and it's funny to think back because at the time we were like. Hey, we got to get this blog post out, you know? Like, we can't be working on this forever. We're not thinking, like, yes, so hold on, though, friend, hold on, because when we're discussing it in the context of art history, we should spend a little more time <laughs> on right, the orange yeah. chair, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. And what Matt's referring there, too, is, you know, this really
2: was we, we were doing mobile development, we were doing some contract work, and we really just had some time in between projects. And this was really just an experiment to us. You know, it's like, let's just try this. This is kind of fun. And we're, that was sort of always our thing. Like worst case scenario, kind of an int- interesting blog post about oh, how we made this thing and and how we wrote the Ethereum contract and everything. And part of that now maybe benefits it, that it has a sort of like a, a kind of an indie vibe to it of just like, oh yeah, just back when the stakes were low, this thing just got made and not everything was like overthought or like productized to the max. Right. It was, yeah. So I think that, there's things that I would change maybe like about little details, but overall, maybe it's better that it's just, it's just kind of indie and it is what it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I agree with that a hundred percent. Like when I look at, at some of these, I've shown friends that are out of the loop, completely out of the loop. And I'm sure you've been there a thousand times where you show somebody and they just don't get it. And you're like, no, you don't understand. It's so bad. It's Good, it is not bad in a horrible way, but in a just a, like a simple, plain, like very honest kind of way, you know, it's it's pretty special. In that, like that, I, I'm curious what of the different attributes that you had created. Do you have any personal favorites?
1: Yeah, I the, do, but, but I don't know if I want to review, yeah, it. right? Yeah, these one of these things it? where, yeah, I know because then it's all oh, those guys like those, we gotta yeah. make sure you hold on to those, yeah. <laughs> but there's, yeah, for sure, for sure, there's some favorites, like, you
0: gotta uh, throw one out there or yeah. maybe a second favorite, like. It's, yeah, I'm. I'm curious.
1: Mm-hmm. We, yeah, I, man, I would one. say that. Uh, yeah, oddly, like my favorites are the most common. Weirdly, so like my. Usual notions of value are almost like inverted from the from the rarity perspective. Like, I like a lot of the Mohawks and cigarettes and like the really punky ones, but those are like fairly common. But when I see one of those, I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. But then like everybody who's into the really rare stuff is like, what are you talking about? But yeah, I like yeah, like cigarettes, Mohawks, 3D glasses are good. VR goggles are one of my favorites. Stuff like that was ahead
0: of its time, also right there. What (laughs) about
1: the mask? Yeah. Oh my god, that's right. Yeah. So weird. Yeah, that was freaky.
2: Um, a favorite of mine that is not well liked by the overall community is the uh, the frumpy hair, uh, the female frumpy hair. And I always liked it because I thought it looked kind of 60s. I don't know why I called it frumpy hair. That's a bad choice. I should have called it like the bob or like the blonde or blonde yeah. brunette bob or something like that. But I always liked that hair, and it especially with, when combined with certain other attributes, it just looks like a cool 60s look. But I, yeah, it's, I always, I always, that's always getting uh, spoken badly about in the, in the Punks Discord, so I'm like,
1: all right. <laughs> but I still got some. I got a few of those, so I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Somebody came in, I remember in the chat last year sometime, like, why are they making new Punks? And they're like, people are like, they're not making new Punks. What are you talking about? No, they got the mask. They got the, the panting and they were like, no, it's been there the whole time. Go look at the original image. And, and that's back to that whole thing. You could prove that's the image. And then everyone's, whoa, that's actually way weirder. Yeah. <laughs> Why are they in there? <laughs> uh, I, I'm a big fan of the beanie,
0: the, the yeah. uh, propeller hat. I, mm. I think that is so absurd. It is just <laughs> in certain combinations, it is epic it's just like a, a, a beanie on a zombie or something like that's, <laughs> that's I think, so good
2: yeah. and i think we have google to uh, thank for that because we do a lot of work with google and they a famous thing there that new employees oh, yeah. get a beanie <laughs> yeah. and so i think i don't know that was just in the front of our mind because we would go there and we'd see these these grown adults walking around with these beanies on and it just oh uh, yeah my yeah. first
0: day at google i had a i had one of these little spinner hats <laughs> that i wore around proudly <laughs> oh, yeah man. <laughs> now the choker you can't really see though that's the hard one huh even though it's super rare 48 uh yeah. in total that's that's a, what do you th- what are your thoughts there
2: yeah yeah it's an example of one that kind of didn't work in that it was supposed to be this sort of black choker which that is like a kind of a punky thing to wear mm-hmm. but yeah you're right it didn't really work where it just looks almost like a shadow under the chin instead or something and but then that's one of those things where you just have to roll with it. Like people have sold those not realizing they're like, oh, that's just a basic punk and they sell it and then they don't realize that it had that rare attribute or anything. So it has a little legend in, in that it's yes, that's one that sneaks under the radar and people don't notice. I've yeah. done that. Be- they- I've done that before. I remember selling one and then looking back and oh wait, there was a choker on that one?
0: I didn't even notice. <laughs> yeah. The the other rare attributes are the number or sorry, the number of attributes that a punk can have. So there's only eight with zero attributes, and there's only one with seven. The one with seven is epic, by the way. Who, who,
1: Danny owns that, or? Danny, Yeah, yeah, Danny. And he spent quite a bit on that fairly early on. I can't remember exactly when, but it felt like, whoa. And honestly, at first, we didn't even think about number of attributes as a thing, and it was the people who really got into it early started tracking them and were like, actually, this is like a whole thing. This is super rare, this seven attribute punk is a rare type of punk, and we were like, oh yeah like we actually hadn't thought of it that way but then based on what they were saying we started adding those stats into the site and everything like that and tracking it and everything yeah i kind of yeah. love that about it that it that, that we we didn't
2: think of that at all it didn't occur to us when we were and so it was fun I, yeah i didn't even think that yeah of course there'll be ones that have no attributes because there's a certain chance that it just skips the hair or skips the glasses and everything and so there's a small chance that They'll all come out negative and you just get nothing. And and of course, that can only happen so many times, too, because once once there's a punk exactly like that, then it's not going to make another one because we had that check to prevent any duplicates. So, yeah, it's really cool that the kind of the community glommed onto that. And now that's definitely part of it. You know, there's been some of those zero they yeah, had that seven attribute one hasn't sold, but some speculate that maybe even should be the most valuable. Who knows? Yeah. And then there have been some zero attributes that have sold for quite big price tags, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm looking right now. There is one currently for sale, a zero attribute for $10.78 million is the asking price. Pretty crazy. It's available. Yeah. I, was, I really don't know when I was turned on to the punks. I'm, I'm, I think pretty early on because I, I was able to get 10 of them. I'm pretty sure I bought them in the secondary. You launched all these for free, is that not correct?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They were, and we kept, we kept a thousand and we gave nine thousand out for just like gas fees, which at that point was 10 to 25 cents. Some people spent a dollar and we and we were like, whoa, you're crazy. But they were like, wanted to make sure they got them. So yeah, but basically free. How did you launch them? Did you just post something on Twitter or what? <sighs> yeah. No, I just went and looked this up. We posted it to like the R Ethereum subreddit and it was just like, we just got nothing off of it we made this whole thing we post he made the site for and everything we posted it and i looked i just looked it up the other day and there was like 18 upvotes and a couple people were like oh like it was in the in the peak of ico mania so people were just that was what everyone was focused on and so they just i don't know the people just weren't up for experiments on ethereum or they weren't interested in the way it looked or i'm not sure what it was but it it really didn't resonate and in that those first few days yeah Yeah. i think also we were we're bad marketers or maybe
2: we're a little better now i don't maybe not but how we talked about it just might not have resonated because a few days later mashable picked up on it somehow i don't know how they found it and they wrote an article about it and that's when it clicked really before then only a handful of these crypto punks have been claimed and then but that article said, oh, this could be really interesting for like the future of digital art. Like, it's, sort of, it's fun to go back to that article because it sort of had it predicted what's happening this
0: year a little
1: bit. And um,
0: yeah, I'm going to put some of these links in the show notes if you guys don't mind sharing them. That would be great sure. to, to have that.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. I seem to recall that we had emailed some reporters and weren't getting much interest. And then we had a friend, uh, Cassie at Mashable, and she was like, let me try to convince someone to take a look at this. And then the person who did take a look was into it and then wrote that sort of like dramatic headline, like this could change the future of digital art type thing. And then that, when that got posted to Reddit, then everyone was like, "Whoa, what?" And they <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. went and started grabbing it. But our post title was probably like an interesting look at digital rarity or something. And they were just like, "Forget <laughs> right. it, I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. do that." <laughs> and then also, how quickly
0: I, uh, did they sell out once that happened? There, there was what well, there were probably like five thousand left, and did they go within like a minutes or hours uh-oh. or?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, there was probably, if there was 9,000 to begin with, there was probably <laughs> yeah. 9,960 yeah. 9, left here. And there was almost all of them uh, left at that point. And, and then it, just within about 24 hours, they were all gone. And yeah, part of what even took that long was, this is before we didn't even have a web interface up yet. And this was back in the day when Ethereum people were, all, everyone would run their own Client, they wouldn't just use MetaMask necessarily. They would actually have Ethereum syncing on their computer. Right. And that wasn't as hard to do back then. So people had the command line tools. So that's that was how you claimed them. You had to get into your Ethereum terminal, your Geth terminal, and you had to just start typing in these commands and stuff. So you know, we quickly added a web interface after that within a couple of weeks. But but right up front, it was all just command line. And so people were just running these things. And you had to get the gas price right and everything. And there was some ICO kind of action at the same time. So it was a little bit competitive to get your transactions through. So yeah, there was it was a real battle for all these to get claimed that it took a while for it all to, to get sorted out. But it was yeah, within 24 hours of that Mashable article, that
0: was it, they were gone. Crazy. And when did the first kind of marketplace start to happen? When did you notice that there were secondary sales that were going down?
1: Pretty soon after. So there was a real wave. There was, guess so it was about over a week. We launched it, I'm going to say at the start of the week, like a Monday or something. And then for a few days there, it just felt, you, know, you asked the question about 10,000 and it felt like we had blown it. The number was just way too big because only a few hundred had been claimed and we we're like we're sitting on 8,000 of these things unclaimed. But then right after that article, then they all got claimed. Then it switched pretty seamlessly into secondary sales, which was an amazing thing to see because a few days ago, it was like, is this thing dumb to, oh, people are claiming them, but they're free to then that that first dollar, like the first time somebody valued it above zero was like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. And then yeah. and then it ramped up from there in terms of value. So it's like, well, I paid a buck. Why not? Who's, who cares? It's just a buck. Like, well, if you paid a dollar, then this one that I really want, that's worth 10 bucks. That's not a big deal. I'll spend 10 bucks. And well, if it's 10, then I'll spend 100 and so it went up pretty rapidly yeah. there to then the rare type started becoming worth $1,000 and stuff like that. And I think, Matt, is it right that during that first day
2: I sold, the very first sale was me selling a zombie for a dollar? Yeah, for $1. <laughs>
0: yeah. <And> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it's pretty yeah.
2: crazy. And just to give context, just this past week, a zombie sold for just shy of a million dollars. It was like, we were
1: so excited to do it. We were like, somebody yeah. wants to spend money on this. This is amazing. It's so cool.
2: Yeah. So, it's it's, yes, to the extent where it's, you wouldn't even want to take that back. That was the first sale. And, and just, yeah, it, it was so crazy that anyone would buy one so fun th- to, to sell one that it didn't matter that it was... Yeah, a zombie going up the door for a dollar, but but yeah, then very quickly it just jumped up like a dollar, then five dollars, ten dollars, you know it. And then I think just a day after that, an, an alien sold for three thousand dollars, and that and that was like a real exciting, like that was a really exciting moment. Wow, this is starting to really work. Like the engine turning over on this now.
1: Yeah, I think we sold Punk Zero for three hundred bucks in there at some point because we didn't really know. We just didn't really think about it like that it would be a series and the first one the series would be valuable we were just like holy 300 bucks amazing we sold it and then like later one of our like art friends was like what are you doing man they were like oh all right oops the rest
0: <laughs> <laughs> who has punk zero now do you know i don't what oh. are the attributes is do you know i don't it's a pretty no good way to look it up yeah it's pretty nice yeah, it's yeah, just the first part, so yeah
2: yeah but it's, uh, I'm not sure who has it. It's changed hands a, a few times.
1: Yeah, which is almost how we justify to ourselves, yeah, it's actually okay that we sold it because if we hadn't sold it, we would never sell it. But now it has this like fun transaction history to it. And, and there's been a few different owners and it's sold for a fair amount. It hasn't sold in recent history. No one's really sure what it's worth right now.
0: How many of these uh, punks do you think are lost? Because when I went to find mine, I, I don't even think there was a MetaMask back then. Maybe there was, or I just wasn't using it. But I was using a wallet called Parity, which mm-hmm. had since gone out of business. And I think the company's still around, but they deprecated the, the actual wallet. And I had to figure out how to dig that up. And it was like a 10 step process to even export the private key. And then I finally unlocked my 10 punks. I was stoked. But I have to imagine there is, are you getting hit with support questions being like, help me find my, it must happen every day,
1: right? yeah yeah it was, a, it was a fair bit of that yeah and people who are even friends of ours because in the early days especially that first week when there wasn't any being claimed we were like hey if you want to come get some go for it there's some available and, and we gave some to our friends and stuff like that and then they're emailing us now hey i is there some password i need to get into there and get those punks i'm like "Uh oh yes yeah. this ain't gonna go yeah that. so stuff like yeah, we that we even
2: tried to estimate how many were lost and just basing it on you can never know for sure of course but okay we can look at the corresponding ethereum account and has it been used like how long has it been since it's been used and for a while we thought maybe even as many as 40 percent of them were toast because there was all these accounts that hadn't done a thing since back in june 2017 when we launched it but it's a little i think it might be a little less than that now because we've seen some of these big old accounts have woken up now that it's become uh, a mainstream thing. But I would say it might be 20%, it might be
0: 30%. It's hard to know for sure, but the, I think a decent wow. amount of them are lost, yeah. It's basically the same story we all have with Bitcoin. You, we mm-hmm. were talking earlier about that. I, I have a, a wallet address that I tweeted out so many years ago when it was just getting off the ground, and I think Bitcoins were, I mean, it wasn't at the floor, but I, I think they were around 10 bucks a coin or something like that. And you know, I said, Hey, I'm just testing out this Bitcoin thing. People send me some coins, and and they did. And now it, you know, has several Bitcoins sitting there, and I have no clue. (laughs) But I can look it up on the the, every time I look it up, I'm like, You gotta be kidding me. There's over a hundred thousand dollars sitting there that I have no access to. (laughs) I'm sure that's the case here, uh, as well. This is so cool. Things have really ramped up and, and gone crazy since then. We should mention a couple. Uh, of the crazier sales. It looks like they obviously, the rarest of the rare, the aliens, recently $7.54 million for I think it was, the, which is the coolest one with the pipe and the glasses. Mm-hmm. But that's just insanity that it is gone for that. Have you had traditional museums or auction houses reach out to you given everything that's been going on with people and the, the NFT craze?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. We've been talking to some museums about maybe figuring out a way to do a show and there's, yeah, it's, we're in an odd category in that we're, we're a little bit of everything. We're a sort of a, we're an art piece, but we're also a marketplace. So we have like marketplace like numbers, but we're also, there's a thing you could display and stuff. So I think, and we started considering the whole package as, as the thing, like all of that together and the economics and all of it are what's interesting about it. So we've been trying to talk about that, but a little more as well, but Yeah. There's been obviously like a a significant amount of interest, especially in the last like a month or so. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And as for the auction houses, we just shied away from that. I think that's something we could potentially do. There's been people who who have kind of one step away where they're like, we think you could do this or would you be interested in, yeah, getting an alien in one of the big auction houses. And, but it's, that sort of goes against the ethos of what it is. Like Auction house not required here a little bit, right? You you mentioned that alien sale seven and a half million dollars. And that was for sale to anyone in the world. You you didn't have any access problems. It's not like you needed to access some fancy art community that you need an auction house to market that to everyone in the world can already access it. And then fees, right? And that probably cost the buyer and the seller about 20 bucks each. That's it to do a, a transaction of that scale. And with complete trust that everything's sound, and you are going to get the money, and they're going to get the punk. So to turn around and say, let's put one of these in one of the big auction houses, just seems antithetical or something to to what to to what's new and cool about all this. And not yeah. it makes more sense, I think, for maybe like people where that's that like that kind of what he's doing more fits into that sort of tradition, that art tradition, whereas this is more like a specific, like Matt says, this. A big part of what makes the CryptoPunks what they are is that it has a market built into it in the smart contract and everything. So to turn away from that market when things are getting big is just seems like an odd, but doesn't seem right to us.
0: Where do you think this goes from here? I mean, obviously, the project is locked. No other Punks will be created. You're not planning a CryptoPunks 2. I don't take it. Do you believe that we're in an NFT bubble?
1: I don't know. That's a hard question to to uh answer nobody also nobody wants to say yeah but it's it's tough because it, it's hard for even for us to have perspective because we've been doing this for years and it's been a small thing with a small audience a small but devoted community and some value there things you could get your head around and then just in the last two months it's gotten so crazy and we always our our thoughts about this kind of hardened over the years where we started to become true believers where we thought this is actually pretty cool this is a thing that it, you have a real feeling of ownership like digital things that you can own is a big deal we we get it so long term we felt like we were going to get here it's just happened in such a short period of time that i'm not sure if we just caught up to where this makes sense now for a lot of people and here mm-hmm. we are or if people have gotten a little ahead of themselves like i just we really don't know yeah and i think that there's lots of kind of
2: mania right now and there might be uh there might be stuff being made over that won't stand the test of time but yeah, like Matt said, we really as we've gotten used to this and inhabited this space for a while, there's no doubt that there's something really great about it and that and long and that's gonna be a long lived thing. And there are yeah, there are there was this reality where if you were a digital artist, that was important art. No one said that your art was was bad because it was digital. It was still valued and you still could experience digital art in museums and everything, but there just wasn't a way for them to make a living from it. Because how do you possibly assign ownership of a file and then what are you going to do have very few copies of the file and then maybe lose it or have too many backups and then you don't know if you really own it or not so this new model of digital ownership even though maybe it takes a little bit of a a cognitive leap to fully understand it it really makes sense and so we're seeing now the benefits of that and yeah if it goes too far ever that's okay i think the long term is still very bright for it and it will indelibly change the art market and the collectible market like that there's something real at the core of it no matter how buzzy it gets
0: yeah i absolutely agree i I think for me when when i think about these projects and professionally as a venture capitalist i'm looking at a lot of cryptocurrency related projects and a lot of nft related things coming out there is a flood of interest and excitement and new artists entering the market and bands and everybody else and there's only so much of Potential available capital for all those projects. I think that where you are, where you stand as a project, it's historic. It is cemented in the blockchain at a certain time. And it was the very first that defined the later standard, which was the ERC 721, correct? Correct. yeah. 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 So this is like the kids call it as OG as it gets, like the very first project. And I believe that historically people will look back on that and say, this has a ton of value. And It also is so funky and weird and cool and eight bitty, and there's just so much to love about all the different aspects of it. It's it's very much in my mind a blue chip type investment. I'm not telling people to go out and buy because I I, again I don't know if we're like you 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 can probably speak to this. There was a a run up initially when people were trading these, and then there was like a what probably a two year period where things were flat to down in terms of price.
1: Yeah, it was, yeah, really quiet for a while. And we loved the project. So we were fine keeping it going and would work on it and stuff like that. And uh, and there was a constant community there that like a sort of a hardcore community that stuck with it and believed in it and stuff. But yeah, it felt like, okay, maybe this is like a niche of cryptocurrency, which is a niche and that maybe that's what this is. I don't know, but we've seen that before. So it, it certainly could happen again. But I think that once, once we've discovered this, potential consumer behavior or just even human behavior almost where we people feel like they want these things and they feel like a sense of ownership over them and that's pretty cool like even an emotional attachment versus if you own some some coin and if it goes up you just sell it who cares you know i mean you don't have an emotional attachment to that thing but People are like, oh, I can't sell that one. That's right. the one that looks like me or that's the I, that's the only one I have with the VR thing. I can't sell it. Even though it's, they're looking at a lot of money potentially to do it, they're like, I can't believe I'm saying no, but I'm I'm saying no. Right. So that feels potentially uh, new.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. It's very cool. And I'm curious, so you guys created a second project that was also a first, Autoglyphs. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, sure. So after... We did a little tour through the art world with the CryptoPunks and went to some art fairs and shows and stuff like that and talked to people. The question we got a lot was, what is this? What is it that is on the blockchain? And it kind of goes back to our earlier conversation. And we would try to explain this hash and the image. and But the answer was essentially that the image itself was not on the blockchain. And that was a sticking point, at least at this point. And I think maybe once you get comfortable with the concept, you move past this. But we thought maybe that's maybe an interesting challenge is that is there a way to say, basically make a project where the answer is yes to that question, where everything is on the blockchain. So the Autoglyphs was a response to that situation where now the generator for the artwork and the data that it generates all get stored completely on the blockchain. And the blockchain compute power is pretty limited because everybody in the world basically runs this thing. So it's fairly limited that way. So this generator had some very strict limitations to it. And we had started and John was working on it for a while and he re- just kind of gave up for a bit and then got back into it and eventually came to a point that where it was making some pretty interesting patterns and the system was working and we thought, okay, this is cool. This is now feels different. This has like some a reason to live. Basically, it looks interesting. The concept is interesting. And it kind of answers that question where now this thing is entirely of the blockchain.
0: And so what actually gets then saved to the blockchain in the case
1: of Autoglyphs? So... And in the case of Autoglyphs, it's a Sol LeWitt style or inspired set of instructions. And it's so if you looked into one of these minting operations where someone would basically create one of the Autoglyphs when there was a phase where that was it was open for minting, then these instructions would get written out into the blockchain and it basically would tell you or a program or whoever how to draw this autoglyph. It's basically the output from the algorithm. So that's really the artwork basically. And so we had found out a little bit about the history of generative art and gotten into it a bit. And this was, as John puts it, like a kind of a love letter to those early pioneers who had covered like, really a lot of ground in the early days of computers and had a lot of this amazing stuff that we discovered as sort of part of getting into all this. So this was inspired by a, a love letter to that time.
0: That's cool. So this was actually the first time those instructions per se had been encoded into an art project and recorded on the chain. I don't think I'd ever seen that done before. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, I think so. As far as we know. Yeah. And it was basically because we had been out there talking about this whole like art on the blockchain thing. And then people would say, what is on the blockchain? And then we're like, well, it'd be nice to answer everything to that question. Also acknowledging to ourselves that we weren't sure how many hardcore generative art fans there were out there so we thought maybe the appeal of the project would be a little less so we made this number of them that we made much smaller than the cryptopunks we made 512 of the autoglyphs and we thought this would be a thing that like sort of art, real art people or it'd be kind of a niche thing that people get into who knew about this and so that's how we intended it was like a like a proof of concept for this kind of art basically
0: that's awesome yeah. And they have taken off like CryptoPunks and that they're very expensive now. If you can find one, I guess there's a few on OpenSea that, that go up for sale from time to time. But yeah, that's that's been another just crazy hit for all of you. Do you have plans to do more on the blockchain? Can you see yourself in creating some type of new project?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we're working on something right now. Um, not really sure on the time frame yet on it, but it's obviously a super exciting time just because there's the interest level, right? Like we... When we launched the Autoglyphs, that was in early 2019, and it was a quiet period for all of this. And I think the people that stuck around and were really into it were into it, but it wasn't there wasn't a wide audience there for it. So now there is, which is interesting, that changes what's possible or makes different things interesting or things we would consider that we wouldn't have done other before. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty exciting to think about what might be possible now.
0: Yeah, when you say what might be possible, obviously, we're not going to reveal your idea here on the show today of what, what's coming next. but. I take it what you are going to be working on, it seems to me you're two for two now and that they've both been blockchain first. Would this also fall in that camp as something that's never been done on the blockchain before?
1: I don't know. I mean, it's certainly, it has some elements of things that we've noticed were deficient, like things we wished we, as time went on, we're like, oh, it'd be nice to have this. And in the same way as Autoglyphs was, was a response to uh, our kind of developing thinking on what was interesting about all this. So I think, yeah, I think it will include some of that. I'm not sure if now first we'll see whether that's the case or not, but because there's so many people doing so many things now, like it was easier to determine that back when there was a relatively few number of people doing things. But now it's there's such an explosion of work being done in this area. It's hard to know what's first anymore, really.
0: So I'm curious, with all the explosion of the new projects and actually new chains, things like Flow and Wax to some extent, what are your thoughts on the current state of Ethereum? Are you a believer in Ethereum long-term as being a home for NFTs? I think so, especially in the fine
2: art space. I think that Ethereum has a gravitas. It, it's it's a, a long-standing, truly decentralized platform. I think some of the other blockchain's are a little bit more convenient for commerce and have some sort of nice properties that make them easy on users. But I think Ethereum is the one that you can trust for the long-term, the the most trustworthy for the long-term. So I still expect that most of the fine art stuff will happen there. I think a lot of the more pure sort of business marketing, big brand collectible stuff that might move elsewhere.
0: But I I think the fine art stuff will stick around. That makes sense. When you look at the landscape today and you see all the projects that are coming out is anything jump out to you as being like wow that's really cool that's something that i'd like to collect do you have other
1: favorites i think we're safe to say we're big fans of art blocks as generative art fans and just how that project is run snowfro who we've known for a while has been like a cryptopunk fan since basically the beginning his icon's a uh, a zombie i think so (laughs) yeah he was like he had quite a few zombies at one point i don't know if he still does but he's still got quite a few and yeah. yeah and I, I you can just tell that he loves the stuff he loves the generative art and that and the platform's all set up to be the best sort of home for that. That's one that I like at least I don't know if John, you have more
2: yeah, we've been obviously really busy and everything, and I probably am just not the right person to ask almost of what's going on right now because we've had our blinders on, but art blocks is yeah the, you know one that's dear to our hearts, and there's lots of that has frequently different artists uh, dropping
0: on everything. So that, that one's been keeping me occupied for the last little while. Yeah, Artblox is a lot of fun. I love, I don't know if you checked out the Ringer's project over there by Dimitri, but uh, mm. really cool the artists that's on there. And they seem to be attracting a lot of the more math-centric crypto slash like artists that are just really trying to push the boundaries with what the math can do and how it can generate these beautiful works of art through these algorithms. It's really fun.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I it's, love
0: the luck of the draw too. When you just press the button, you don't know what you're going to get until you actually generate it there on the spot. hmm yeah. And
2: yeah, and really what we had mentioned before that that when we were in that show was that curator, uh, Georg Bach, who brought us into that. And he's a real generative art fanatic and he encyclopedic knowledge of it. And it was interesting to learn the history of that going back to the 60s, you know, really back to early computing. As soon as they were able to do things on computers, people were making cool, arty things with it. And there's lots of really amazing artifacts from the 60s and early 70s of that sort of early a lot of stuff using plotters. And it's really cool. And, but obviously, that stuff is still fairly underground and niche. And so I do feel like art blocks and crypto art in general is bringing new attention to that whole space, which is really cool, because mm. it it is a really, it's, it's a really cool sort of branch of, of art that
1: has maybe been a little overlooked until recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and our friend uh, Jason Bailey said that, he thinks that a bunch of people came in thinking they were going to be there to make some money and accidentally became art fans. There's a <laughs> there's this community now that really I think has fallen in love with this genre of art, which is great because we love that stuff too. So it's really nice to see it find a home and in terms of collectors and just a platform and all that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: What are your thoughts on given that you're the first in the space with autoglyphs? There was I wouldn't say. Wh- more of a tip of the hat to you and someone created a kind of a knockoff called color glyphs that turned essentially all the autoglyphs that you had generated into more colorized versions. And then there's more blatant kind of things that are ripping off some of the CryptoPunk stuff that we're seeing happen on other chains. What are your thoughts on all this? In some sense, it's got to be really flattering, but at the same time, is any of it, obviously, if it's confusing to the consumer, it's bad, right? But what's your take on what's going on out there with the knockoffs?
2: Yeah, and the color glyphs is an example of kind of a good one in that it's someone who was a, a fan of the project. And then, and it's a yes and approach where it's, so that's great. And we can now do this to it. And it's doing something fun where it's saying, oh, if we can take this autoglyph and add color to it. It was really just about having fun with the technology and everything. So that's absolutely fine. Whereas obviously, yeah, that's really what it comes down to. You know, then there's other ones that are just more cynical where it's like there's an attempt maybe to confuse the, the consumer of these things into maybe thinking that this is an official cryptopunk or is somehow authorized or related so obviously we're not nearly as much a fan of those things and i think yeah it certainly comes with the territory there's not a ton that you can
1: be done about it necessarily yeah it's, some of it's flattering and there's a, obviously a long history of like remix culture on the internet which is it's almost crazy to be the subject of that to see the number of sort of additions and remixes of the punks, especially. And some of them, like John said, are a bummer. They're just they're cynical, they're confusing, or they're basically just ripoffs. But but there's been a lot of interesting, fun stuff too, that kind of comes to the territory.
0: It's a really challenging question because I've been through this myself. when I'm digging in it's heyday in two thousand four through like two thousand ten, it was like that we got all these clones. And some mm-hmm. of them would say dig something else. They'd have our our word in there And if you talk to a trademark attorney, they'll tell you if you don't defend your mark, meaning that you don't ask them to take it down, you can lose your mark. And so then Mm. that means it just becomes Kleenex. It's just like a general purpose can be applied to everything. I think Kleenex does have their mark now, but you know what I'm saying. You can lose your actual trademark around that to where it's universal and everyone can then exploit it and use it in any fashion. So how do you handle... The ownership side of things: if someone owns an autoglyph or someone owns a punk, can they put it on a t-shirt? Can they sell those t-shirts? How, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, and we try to be we try to be pretty generous with that, and that's a lot of this stuff now is getting obviously in the last few weeks and months have become everything the stakes are much higher and all that so we're getting like a lot of this stuff buttoned up finally but yeah we've always tried to be pretty generous about that so yeah if you own a crypto punk, you can put it on a shirt and you can do certain things with it that are try to respect that remix culture and that's partly why they are where they are today why the punks are is because people have done cool stuff with it and felt like a part of the project so we want to respect that for sure but also the situation you were talking about with Dig is you have some responsibility to protect the project, right? Like it, this thing that we all are a part of needs to be defended sometimes too against people that are don't have good intentions for it. So we need to have those tools as well. So we're trying to strike that balance as best as we can.
0: Yeah, it's 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 tough because in some sense, okay, I own the zombie, I love it, it'd be cool. I, I want to put on a shirt. It'd be cool if I could even sell the shirts. But at the same time, if I can sell the shirts, then can anyone else sell the shirts in which case then I'm there's right. no, cause cause there's no real way to transfer copyright or ownership in that is like, it's not embedded in that actual ERC uh, token, right? No, no,
2: but you could get into having the agreements. There could be legal stuff that says the entity that controls the address that owns that has a right to make a, a limited supply or whatever. that. There is ways, I think, to legally tie that. So it's like, yeah, the blockchain yeah. Stuff determines like, who can do what. Yeah, this is not something that Matt and I are a super specialists in, all this kind of legal stuff. We're learning more about it, obviously, as this stuff comes to a head. But, but yeah, and even if you look at, say, CryptoKitties, which came a few months after us and was a much more kind of commercial project with a larger company involved, they had a carve out in their terms of service where it's like, yeah, if you own one of these, you can have a little business where you make shirts or whatever up to I think $100,000 revenue or something like that. So that even they had a little carve out for you can do some fun things with what you own there. I think it's possible. And there's Yeah, there's some cool things there. But like, as Matt said, there also has to be a protection of the whole thing, because you can just get complete clones and all that kind of stuff and people who are aiming to confuse and undermine. That makes a lot of sense.
0: All right. This has been awesome. Super excited. And I love how pure you all have kept this and that you're still just two people working on this. Right? Yeah,
1: pretty much. Yeah. Yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's insanity to me. That fact that... So, uh, well, I'll give you this right now. Like I would as a venture capitalist like you have no shortage of admirers i would write you a 3 million dollar check right now to get the business to to grow <laughs> like i'm sure you could go out and raise you know tens of millions of dollars but you're keeping it small last question why not turn this into something bigger and create the second uh, series b of cryptopunks the second generation yeah, Matt
2: can answer this too. I think we've worked together, Matt and I, now for almost twenty years, which is pretty crazy to say. And we've been a company together exclusively for sixteen years. And but during that time, we have done we've done venture back startup, we've done other partnerships and everything. And you, through all that process, you sort of learn a lot about yourself and each other and how you, we work and everything. And we just realized like we're at our best at as individual kind of contributing creators creative text, And just to have that nimbleness and just work on the next weird, crazy thing, that's us at our best. And so mm-hmm. to turn it into a larger scale operation, would, I think it would, that's just not us. And it would, it, it might be even successful, but it wouldn't, necessarily, it, it just wouldn't really play to our strengths. I think that's for someone else to make a big company around this stuff, and we'll focus on just making the next cool project.
0: You know, it's funny, the, the fact that just you even say that adds even more cred and legitimacy to the projects you create. They, they've always had that kind of non-corporate feel and vibe, which is, they're punks too, so I guess that makes makes sense. (laughs) Thank you guys for being on the show. It's always an honor to speak with you and especially to entrepreneurs that, you know, as someone, as a VC that spends a ton of time looking at all these different projects in the crypto space, I get really excited when I meet with founders that are really just building something new and unique and novel, and it, it is a first. There's something very exciting. I don't know if you all get that kind of like bubbly feeling in your stomach when you're like, wow, this has never been done before. And you guys have gone and done that a couple times now. So thank you for doing that. And I'm excited to see what you come up with next.
1: Thanks Thanks a lot. Yeah, Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to talk.
0: All right, that's it for this episode. It was a really fun interview. I want to thank our guests for coming on again. And of course, if you want all of the links and show notes, head on over to our brand new website, modern.finance. And you will find all that information there. And of course, if you thought this was cool, you know anybody that's getting into NFTs, make sure to share it around uh, with your friends that you think would enjoy the episode. And you can also go to the website and click on reviews at the very top there and give us a five-star review. Be very much appreciated. All right, that's it. Take care.